Well, hello, everyone. This is now the fifth Sunday that we will not be able to meet together as a result of the coronavirus. We desperately miss our time together. We also continue to pray for you and your well-being, your safety, and trust that the Lord is keeping you safe. As always, if there's something that we can do to help you in this time, please don't hesitate to call and let us know how we can help you. Well, this is now Easter Sunday. This past week, we've been reading together the accounts of the Holy Week as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. And so today I wanted to continue out of the Gospel of Matthew and look at the resurrection of Christ as Matthew would record it for us. As we think about Easter, it is the holiest week of the year, the most significant event for Christians, but it's sad to realize that many people don't understand what Easter is really all about And they end up focusing on something else. For example, if you were to ask a child, what is the meaning of Easter or what is Easter about? They might say it's about the Easter bunny, it's about Easter eggs, it's about a big basket full of yummy candy. If you ask some women about Easter and what it's about, they might say it's time to get new clothes, it's time to get out the hats and the white shoes and all those things that I enjoy to wear. And if you ask some men, they might go so far as to say that Easter is about the great feast we're going to have. This is kind of a preview to Thanksgiving, and I can't wait to get a hold of all that's going to be prepared for me. It's very sad that so many in our culture around us are unable to say that Easter is the celebration of Jesus' resurrection. Our culture has turned from an empty tomb to an Easter egg, and the symbol of the Easter bunny has now displaced the symbol of the cross in the true meaning of of what Easter is about. So today as we look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10, we're going to take a look at the resurrection message as given to us by the angel who appears in this passage of Scripture. So read with me Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. Here's what God's Word says to us today. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Verse 7. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there... They will see me. We're going to look at this passage of scripture in four major sections. And so the first one that we're going to look at is the setting. Verse one gives to us the setting. And here's what it says. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. So number one in our setting is we know that it's after the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath began on Friday at sundown, and the Sabbath would end about an hour after sundown 
on the following day, which would be Saturday to us. The sun was dawning on the first day of the week, and this would be our Sunday. Now, in this time, the Jews didn't have names for the days of the week like we do. Literally, what it says is the first day of the week, and what that means is it is the first day of the week in relation to Sabbath. So if the Sabbath were to end on a Saturday, then the first day of the week would be our Sunday, and that is how our calendar is written out for us today. So Jesus was killed on day six, our Friday early afternoon, was in the tomb all of day seven, the Sabbath, our Saturday, and was raised very early on the first day of the week, which would be our Sunday. Now, since Jews considered any part of a day as one day, Jesus was, by Jewish timekeeping measures, dead for three days, but not for 72 hours. So after the Sabbath, as the sun was dawning, number two in our setting, some women arrived. Verse 1 continues that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Now, the other Mary is identified in Mark 16.1 as the mother of James. The other Mary, excuse me, as the mother of James, as also as the, the mother, excuse me, the one married to Clopas, and Clopas is identified in John 19:25. But the other gospels record for us that there were some other women there, not just to the, not just the two Marys that Matthew mentions. There is also mentioned Salome, who is the mother of James and John. This is also referenced to Mark 16:1, and Joanna, which is mentioned in Luke 24, verse 10. But for some reason, unbeknownst to us. Matthew is only going to focus on these two Marys. Now, these ladies, all that had gathered, trusted him. They followed him. They supported him. They had been faithful to him all the way to the cross. And some, if not all, of these women women would have been present at the crucifixion when Jesus actually died and breathed his last. So they came there that morning with spices They wanted to complete the burial process or the embalming process that was begun on Friday. So they expected to find a body of Christ still lying in the tomb. And so on the way to the tomb, I'm pretty certain that there would be some conversation about the grief that they felt, the loss that they had witnessed, about how were they going to get this massive stone moved away, what would the soldiers do, what would they say, would they help them in any way, And so I imagine that this journey to the tomb was somber, it was filled with questions and unknowns, but as they approached the tomb, we see number two in our outline, we see a great surprise. Verse two reads, and behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. So as we look at this surprise that is now mentioned for us in verse 2, there's three surprises that I see in this. Number one, there's an earthquake. As they are approaching the tomb, as they are getting up to the proximity of the tomb, the earth begins to shake. Now, one thing I know for sure, an earthquake is going to get your attention, isn't it? You are going to be startled by it. You will be captivated by it. You will be deathly afraid of it. And this is what the ladies are experiencing. Now, this earthquake at the tomb on the morning of the first day of the week, 
It is the second earthquake that is recorded in the Gospels around Jerusalem in just three days. We read in Matthew 27, verses 50 and 51, as Jesus was on the cross and about to breathe his last. It says, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, meaning he died. Verse 51, and behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Now, I'm quite certain the ladies approaching the grave were not expecting to be standing at ground zero again, and yet that's what they find. Here they are in the midst of another earthquake. Now, the earthquake is a great surprise, but it isn't the only surprise. Number two, an angel appears. Verse 3 says, and his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. Now, the appearance that Matthew gives to us here is important. His face was like lightning, and what that represents biblically is that the face of this angel, white as lightning, reflects the glory of God. And the white clothing that he is wearing, the clothing that is as white as snow, reflects the holiness And the purity of God. The angel has come on a mission straight from the throne of God and carries with it the unmistakable image of someone that could not be considered an ordinary man. I've seen some white people in my day. I've seen some people wearing white clothes in my day, but never have I seen anybody whose face was like lightning and their white and their clothing like it was as white as snow. If we were to see that, we would no doubt consider that we have just seen something that is extraordinary. And so that's the second surprise that these ladies incur on that day. Thirdly, the tomb is open. The angel's arrival has triggered an earthquake and the stone is rolled away and now the angel is sitting atop of this stone. This massive stone which encloses a tomb which was hewn out of a big rock on the side of a cliff. This massive stone would have taken several men to put into place suddenly and instantly this stone has been rolled away. Now, also, in an unmistakable symbol of victory, the angel is sitting on the stone. He's not next to it. He's not near it, but he is sitting atop of that stone. I believe it is a sign of victory over the tomb of Christ, and this now opened up tomb is going to be discovered for what it really is, the empty tomb of the crucified Lord. Now, it's been said that the angel did not roll the stone away so that Christ could get out, but it has been rolled away so that these women and the disciples that would follow would be able to enter in. Jesus, in his glorified state, is not bound by time and space. And just as he was able to enter through closed doors in his post-resurrection appearances, he could exit this tomb with that with that stone still in place. The stone didn't need to be moved so Jesus could escape. The stone was moved so that the witnesses could go in and see for themselves what has taken place. Now, in the area of surprises, the women weren't the only ones to be surprised on the dawning of the first day. Verse 4 tells us, the guards who were there guarding the tomb shook for fear of him and became like dead men. 
The soldiers who were there to guard the tomb were so affected by the earthquake and by the appearance of the angel that they literally and physically shook with fear. And just for an instant, this trembling would dissipate and now they would sit there and they would look like dead men. They were so paralyzed by what they felt, by what they heard, and by what they saw, they couldn't move a muscle. They appeared to be dead. That's quite a surprise for these strong and mighty Roman soldiers who were given the questionable task of guarding the tomb of a dead man. But here they were, startled by an earthquake, shaken by the appearance of an angel, And now they begin to hear the message that is going to be shared from the angel to the women. As the women approached the tomb, their hearts were filled with questions and concerns. And before they could ask a single question or say a single thing, the angel speaks to their need, knowing exactly what it is they need to hear. And now we come to number three in our outline. We come to... The message. We find the beginning of this message in verse 5. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. So the first thing that we hear in this message is this. Number one, do not fear. Now, there's probably several reasons why the women would be fearful. They were just standing at the site of an earthquake, and I would guess that's going to scare you pretty good. They also saw this massive stone miraculously rolled away. I would think that might scare someone as well. They see this angel sitting on the stone, his face as white as lightning, his clothes as white as snow. And we know throughout the rest of Scripture, when angels appear, people are frightened by that. They are shocked in what they see. They don't know how to process it. So there is this semblance of fear that is the result of the angel who has now suddenly appeared to them. They have come to the tomb to continue or complete the embalming process, and seeing the dead body of Christ, nobody would really want to see that, now would they? I would imagine that that would also bring some fear into their hearts. They come to tend the dead body of Jesus who was crucified, and this event was not what they were expecting to see. They didn't expect to experience an earthquake, to see the stone rolled away, to see an angel sitting atop of this massive stone, The world was turned upside down by the crucifixion. And now they're seeing all of this. And I would imagine they would have the question, what is the meaning of all of this? So into the heartbroken world of these shocked women, the angel says, do not fear. Now, there is a lesson that we can extrapolate from this, although it doesn't speak directly to our seeing an empty tomb or our experience with an angel. But you know, in our lives and in our world, there is a tremendous amount of uncertainty. There's a tremendous amount that's going on in our world and our culture that is going to bring fear to us. When our world is getting turned upside down, like the lives of these women and the other disciples, we need to listen to the message that comes from the very throne of God. Do not fear. God is always there. God is always aware of what is going on. God has a purpose in these things that we experience. And in some way, perhaps in a way that we can't expect and that we may not even recognize at the moment, God is making a way for us when there seems to be 
no way at all. So we need to take heart in the first part of this message from the angel, do not fear. Now the second thing that comes as a part of this message, number two, is this. He has risen. Verse 6 says, He is not here, for He has risen just as He said. Come, see the place where He was lying. The stone has been moved, and the angel utters perhaps the most incomprehensible message that these ladies have ever heard in their lives. He's not here. He has risen just as He said. Come and see for yourselves. Now, it's just been a day and a half by our time of rec- our, the way that we would reckon time since they've experienced the horrific death of Christ. And here they are on the first day of the week, entering in, or approaching the tomb of Christ and seeing and experiencing all of these things, hearing the message to not be afraid because he's not here. At this moment, the angel speaks of the most significant historical event the world will ever know, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Christ is the, most, is the single most important aspect of Christianity. We read in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 14 and 15, And if Christ has not been raised, and our preaching is vain, your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God, because we testified against God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. And so Paul is making very clear to us that the resurrection is the most single important aspect of our Christianity because if he was not risen, then our faith is in vain. Additionally to that, we see in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 through 57, that the resurrection of Christ has conquered sin and death. Verse 55 reads, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The implication here is that through the resurrection of the Lord, we, by virtue of our faith in Him, have been given victory over the power of sin and the consequence of sin, not only our physical death, but also our spiritual separation from God. All of this accomplished for us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, this raising from the dead is exactly what Jesus said he was going to do. We read in Matthew 16:21. from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Continually from this point in Jesus' ministry to his disciples, he began to teach them that he must go to Jerusalem, he must suffer, and he must die. Now, after Matthew 16.21, this is where Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, Lord, these things must not happen. This cannot be. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You do not have the things of God in mind, but only the things of man. Now at this point in our narrative, in Matthew chapter 28, the angel invites the women into the tomb so they can see for themselves that Jesus is not there. Now I wonder what they were thinking as they took the last steps towards the entrance 
into this tomb. You know, I can remember as a kid being scared by a bad storm or at night when the lights go out as a result of a storm. I can also remember being scared by my older brothers who enjoyed tormenting their younger brothers. And they would convince me that some dark and ominous spot was actually very, very safe. And as I would enter into that dark spot, as I might go around the corner, they would scare me beyond belief. So I wonder if these women weren't a little bit scared about what they might see as they entered into the tomb. I would imagine there would be some fear, some trepidation about what they would actually find. Now Mark adds a little bit of commentary to this in Mark 16.6, and it records in Mark that the angel says to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been risen, excuse me, who has been crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. So the angel has not only invited these women in, but has actually shown them the physical place where Jesus was laying dead. And as we think about that, the empty tomb the now absent body of Christ. You know, there was never any search made for the body of Jesus. Matthew chapter 28, verses 13 and 14 tell us that the Jewish officials, the scribes and the elders, told the Roman soldiers who were given the responsibility to guard the tomb that someone had come along and had stolen the body of Christ. Now, if that actually would have happened, these Roman soldiers would be executed for their inability to follow this order. This order. Secondly, if the body was in fact truly stolen as the Jewish leadership would spread, you would think that there would be some investigation into the whereabouts of Jesus. Who took him? Where is he at now? But there were never any arrests made of any of the disciples, although they would very likely be the first and prime suspects for such a thing. Now, these ladies have seen for themselves that Jesus is, in fact, gone. The tomb is empty. They see the place where he had laid. And now the angel gives them another part of the message, the last part that we see here, number three, and that is this, go and tell. Verse 7 says, Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, behold, I have told you. So he repeats some of what he's already said, but he gives them the very specific message to go and tell the others what it is they have seen. They have seen the empty tomb. The body of Christ is missing, and the angel has said, He's not here, He is risen. And now these women are on the way to tell the others of what they have seen. This is the true meaning of Easter. Jesus is not in the tomb. He is alive, and we are to go and tell. The greatest news in all the world is the message of the resurrection and the victory that it provides for the lostness, for the sinfulness, for the separateness of all of mankind from the holy and righteous God. The angel affirms his truth again, and he tells the women that Jesus is going ahead of them into Galilee, and they are going to see him there. Now, Galilee was an important city. It was both very Jewish and very Gentile, and it is thought to represent the whole world at large. 
It was in Galilee that Jesus began his earthly ministry. It would be in Galilee that he was going to commission the disciples to their apostolic mission of making disciples in all of the world. So Galilee was an important city, and that perhaps is why Jesus instructed them to go there. And as we know from the remainder of the gospel accounts, that's in fact what took place. After seeing these amazing events unfold before them, and after hearing the message of the angels, the women act. They go quickly towards the brethren. Verse 8 says, They left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. So as they leave the tomb, there's a mixture of both fear and joy. Fear in the face of this supernatural reality and great joy that they have heard the triumphant message of Jesus' resurrection. It's very unlikely that in these brief moments they were able to fully comprehend all that they had seen and all that they had heard, but they were filled with joy and they ran to tell the others what they had just witnessed and what they had just heard and their hearts were bubbling over at this message that they had been given. Now, the fourth point in our outline is very quickly this. It is the confirmation. I believe in these two concluding verses in this passage, we see the goodness and the graciousness of Christ expressed so dearly and so sweetly to these women who have been so faithful to him throughout his ministry. Number one in this confirmation is Jesus appears. Verse 9 says, And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Before they could even get back to the disciples, and long before they would ever gather together in Galilee, Jesus appears to these women, I believe, as an act of graciousness and kindness towards them. They have been so overwhelmed by the crucifixion. They have been so stirred up by the events that have just transpired outside of the tomb. They now see the risen Savior, confirmation for themselves that He is in fact alive. They fall to the ground, they cling to His feet, and they worship Him. I would imagine there were tears of sorrow, of joy, of relief, sobbing at the feet of their Master and their Lord that they have now been reunited with after the horrible events just 36 hours earlier. They now have first-hand confirmation of the incredible events that they have witnessed in this triumphant message that they've heard. And in this brief moment, life made sense. They were no longer weighted down by the horror of the crucifixion, by the sorrow of the empty tomb, and here is Jesus alive, exactly as they were told. Jesus was alive, and the response is the only proper one, and that is, they fell to their feet and they worshipped him. So number two in this confirmation, not only is it his appearing to them, but it is his reassurance to them. Verse 10 reads, Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Again, Jesus repeats what the angel has said. Do not be afraid. This is real. I am really alive. I am here. 
And you can be confident of that. Now, go and do what the angel told you to do. Go to my brethren and tell them to go to Galilee and I will meet them there. So the most significant event in all of human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the most important message that the world will ever hear, do not fear, he is risen, go and tell, is completed in these ten short verses of Scripture. The resurrection, the most significant event in all of human history, the most important aspect of Christianity summarized here for us, In these ten verses, popular preacher, author John MacArthur says that the basic truth of the resurrection supports a number of of other truths, and he lists six of these, and so I want to walk through these very, very quickly. So the resurrection proves, number one, the word of God is totally true. It is true and reliable. Jesus rose from the dead precisely when and how he predicted he would. He said over and over and over that he would die and he would be raised again. And that is exactly what has taken place and it proves that God's word is totally true. Number two, the resurrection proves that Jesus is the Son of God, just as he claimed to be, and that he and he alone has the power over life and death. He said, I have the authority to lay my life down, and I have the authority to take it up again, and this is exactly what has taken place, and it proves the claims of Christ that he is the Son of God. Number three, the resurrection proves that salvation is complete. On the cross, Christ conquered sin and death, He conquered hell and he rose victorious. He, in his own body, took upon himself the punishment that our sin entitles us to. He died in our place. He became our atonement, the propitiation for our sin. He conquered sin, he conquered death, and he rose again. Our salvation is complete in him. And when Jesus says, it is finished... On the cross, he means the plan of redemption. Number four, the resurrection proves that the church has been established. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now, that phrase, the gates of Hades, was a popular Jewish expression that represented death. And so Jesus' resurrection proves that death itself could not prevent Christ from establishing his church. And that's exactly what he did, and that's exactly what you and I are a part of today, his universal church, his bride, and his body. Number five, the resurrection proves that judgment is coming. Jesus said in John 5:22 that the heavenly Father has given all judgment to the Son. And since Jesus has died and has rode victorious, he's now alive. His judgment is certain. At some point in the future, a day that we don't know when it's going to come, but it will come, And when it does come, Jesus is going to come to judge those that have rejected him and deny that he is who he says he is and has done what he says he has done. Lastly, number six, the resurrection of Christ proves that heaven is waiting. 
Isn't that good to know? Jesus promised in John 14, 2, In my house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And so what Jesus says is that in my death, I will conquer sin and death. Excuse me, I will pay the penalty for sin and death. In my resurrection, I will conquer sin and death. And I will go back to the Father. And when I do that, I will prepare a place for you. Heaven is waiting for those that have given their lives to Jesus Christ. Because Christ is alive through the resurrection, believers have the assurance that he is now preparing a dwelling place for us to be with him for all of eternity. The message of Easter is very, very clear, and it's one that we ought to celebrate, not just at Easter, but every day of the year. Do not fear. Whatever it is you're going through, God is there. God has a purpose. God has a plan. Do not fear. Secondly, Jesus is alive. He's no longer in the tomb. He is in his rightful place in heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father, waiting to culminate our salvation by coming back for us and taking us to be with him for all eternity. The third message of Easter is we are to go and tell a lost, a hopeless, a dying world the truth about Easter bunnies. Excuse me, about Easter. It's not about Easter bunnies. It's not about a new wardrobe. It's not about a great meal. It's about the eternal plan of redemption before there was ever a need for redemption that has been completed in the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me, please? Father, how we give you thanks for this concise message. We thank you for its truth. We thank you for its impact in our lives. We thank you, Father, that you have done for us what we could never do for ourselves. We thank you that you have sent your one and only Son to come into the world that he created to die on the cross in our place to pay our penalty. We thank you, Father, that through the power of God he was raised victorious and we, like him, will also be raised and will be able to spend all of eternity with you in heaven. Father, how we thank you for the significance, for the message of the resurrection. Would you compel us to go and tell others? Would you show us the opportunities that you create for us to tell others? And would you give to us a growing burden to do what the angel said to do, to do what Christ told us to do, to go, to tell, to make disciples in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.